Writing is just my best form of communication. It's just sometimes I have no idea even what I'm thinking or feeling until I sit down and write. And then I'm somehow able to figure out what it is I'm thinking or feeling through that process. Bonjour, Ani, and welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lam. Miigwech for joining us. Native Lights is more than a podcast and radio show. At its core, it's a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week, we have captivating conversations with great guests mm. from a bunch of different backgrounds, musicians, artists, community leaders, doctors, healthcare advocates, educators, language warriors, Whew. You name it, <laughs> we got them. A bunch of passions out there. So we talk with them all about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their communities. And it all centers around the big point of purpose in our lives. And it's another week. So another opportunity to amplify Native voices. How are you doing, Cole? You know, I'm just I'm just chilling. I recently tried to get back into the gym a little bit. Hopefully that sticks. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other than that, just chilling. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, I'm speaking of gym. I mm. had this realization when I got a package in the mail that I had signed up for a half marathon. And like when I was very oh, ambitious, okay. like in October. So I'm going to have to also head into the gym, I think, and try to get into uh, try to get ready for this half marathon. Wait, how, how soon is that? It's Grandma's half marathon in June. Ooh, okay, okay. That's all good. I could walk it. I could walk it. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Army trot it. Exactly. It. It'll be a fun time no matter what. But yeah, I just, you know, when past you is more ambitious than present you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <sighs> yeah. What, I, I, that's what I did a lot, uh, you know, a few years back, like just sign up for a 10 mile race and would just force myself to train. Sometimes training a little bit too late up until the last minute, which is probably not good for the knees and all that stuff. So I very much caution against that. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do understand being a little bit ambitious, a little bit too ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't find any couch to half marathon programs. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy boy. Marathon, I like it. I'm not sponsored by Lazy Boy. I will make that clarification. Heck yeah. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to today's guest. This week, we are speaking with Stacy Drulard. Stacy is a Grand Portage Band of Ojibwe direct descendant who lives and works in Grand Marais, her hometown on the north shore of Lake Superior. Stacy is an award-winning author. One of her works include a 2019 nonfiction piece called Walking the Old Road, A People's History of Chippewa City and the Grand Marais and Anishinaabe. Her second book, published in 2022, is called Seven Aunts. And right now, as of this recording, she's in the process of releasing a children's book. really want to hear about that, of course. She's also a radio producer for a community radio station. And last but not least, she writes a monthly column called Nibe Chronicles. Of course, Nibe means water in Ojibwemoin, so... Can't wait to hear about all the books, her radio work, and all that good stuff. Here she is. Boujou, Stacy. Boujou. 
How's it going, Stacey? Doing all right. Could you just start out by introducing yourself? Buju Anin, Stacey Drulard, Indigene Cause, Shaganashimon, Kichiona Gumme, Indonjaba, Minoa, Kichipetubeg, Indonjaba, Gawin Mashi, Ningi Kenamasi, Nenduadane, Good Harbor Hill, Inda, WTIP Radio, Indanoki. My name is Stacey Drulard. I am from Grand Portage and Grand Marais. I don't yet know my clan. I live at Good Harbor Hill and I work at WTIP North Shore Community Radio. Great. How are you doing? How's the family doing? The family is doing fine, holding steady. Took a little walk today and the dogwood is turning dark red like it's March or something. It's pretty weird. Oh, it's true. And definitely on a lot of people's minds. It's just odd to see, like you said, the dogwood. It feels like sugar bush time. I don't have to wear my big coat, which is usually just like a part of my body for like three, four months out of the year. So it's definitely definitely an odd one out there. But Stacy, we like to kick off our conversations with the question, what is on your mind? You know, I'm still kind of in the afterglow of a weekend of wonderful art in the Twin Cities. I was there in attendance for the George Morrison Center for Indigenous Art at the U of M. I was there on Saturday for that. I was there in the capacity of press uh, reporting for WTIP North Shore Radio, where I work. I got to speak to four generations of the Morrison family after the opening festivities. It was incredible. It was an incredible gift. And knowing about George's very humble roots in Chippewa City and the history, he and his brother were sent to boarding school at one point, and then he returned to the North Shore to finish high school at Cook County High School, which is also my alma mater. The sense of pride for me, having a connection to Chippewa City and knowing George and also Breond and, and Hazel and Breon's daughter, Elizabeth and Roxanne and the grandkids. I mean, it was, it was really cool. So Stacy, you mentioned, you know, finding it exciting to see that connection with Chippewa City. And from what I'm seeing in your work, the place you live is a big part of your writings. Can you talk about, you know, just the importance of your community in the books that you've written and all that? I'm a very place-based writer. I write about what I know. So yes, the first published work is Walking the Old Road, A People's History of Chippewa City and the Grand Marais Anishinaabeg. It came out in 2019, and it is a, a look back at this now dispersed village where my great-grandmother Elizabeth Anaquat raised a family of 12, along with the Morrisons. The Anaquat family and the Morrisons were two of the families that lived at Chippewa City from the very beginning. The North Shore and the people that I write about in my second book, Seven Aunts, are all connected to this place. All of my aunties ended up back here in some way, shape, or form. 
there's something extremely important historically, culturally, environmentally for me when you have all of your relatives here. And so that's where I, I always start. To step back even more, like what, what got you into just telling stories in the first place? What, what was the inspiration, like the passion behind that? Well, I'm not much of a talker. <laughs> Writing is just my best form of communication. Sometimes I have no idea even what I'm thinking or feeling until I sit down and write. And then I'm somehow able to figure out what it is I'm thinking or feeling. I have always been an artistic person, a creative person, a, a reader. My favorite place has always been the library ever since I was a little kid. I've been exposed to stories since I was tiny, and it's kind of the format that makes sense to me. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Stacy Jewelard, award-winning author and direct descendant of the Grand Portage Band of Ojibwe. Stacy is also a radio producer for a community radio station and writes a monthly column called Nibi Chronicles. Well, I saw your journeying into children's books. Can you talk about that? Yes, that was unexpected. I didn't really anticipate writing a children's story, but the editor from HarperCollins, who has a, a North Shore connection, reached out to me. And this story sprung up out of a real-life story about a little white hmm. spruce tree that once lived in Grand Portage on the North Shore, in the rocky soil of grandma's garden. And grandma and grandpa had to move away and they had to leave this place where the protagonist, whose name is Francis, got to know the tree and the tree and Francis kind of grow at the same rate in the story. So grandma and grandpa have to move and, and Francis wants to bring the tree along. So grandpa digs up the little spruce tree and moves it to auntie's house so that they'll always know where the tree is and can always visit the tree. And so it's a story about how trees and people experience change and how change is hard on trees and people. And so that's what it's about. A family tree is the name of the book. It comes out May 7th. And so I'm very excited about it. Like I said, I didn't anticipate writing a kid's book, but the story just sort of sprung sprung up out of my memory and real life experience. Are you working with an illustrator? Yes. The book is illustrated by Kate Gardner, who is Nipmuc from the East Coast. Kate is a wonderfully talented artist and has brought the story to the page in just a, a beautifully tender and relatable way. How does that collaboration work? 
I've never communicated directly with Kate Gardner, the illustrator. Everything goes through the publisher, the editor, and the editing process. Kate really understood the story well, but we did have one funny regional misunderstanding. There's this part in the story where I talk about a pair of moose horns. So when I got the illustration back, it was grandpa holding like a pair of horns, like musical instruments. <laughs> we call them moose horns up here, but I guess on the East Coast, um, they call them antlers. That's great. <laughs> I had to um, change that wording so that it was clear to everyone. If we could step back to the books again, could you just talk about the writing and researching process? Like, did it take like two years to write Walking the Old Road? Oh my gosh. Well, Walking the Old Road, actually, I did my first interview. It was with George Morrison back in 1987. I believe it was in 87 when I first interviewed George about Chippewa City. And so technically it took over 30 years to write that book. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and I didn't work on it the whole time, obviously, but I did a lot of the research interviewing elders back in the 80s and 90s for my graduate studies work at UMD. So I put all the research together years ago. It just kind of sat on a shelf for a long, long time. I always wanted to write a book or turn it into a book, but I, I wasn't really sure how. And I I did a lot of other things. I, I worked with Betsy Bowen, a local artist, to manage her gallery for a number of years. And then I ran a bakery called Lola's Bakery for 10 years. And the whole time that I was baking, I was formulating this book that I wanted to write. By the time... I touched base with Eric Anderson, the editor at U of M Press, about the possibility of writing this into a book. I already had a lot of it in my mind, the way that I wanted to write it. And so the actual writing process did take about two years, but really it took over 30. And with that book and with Seven Aunts, when you research, you're uncovering and writing on things that could be difficult, painful truths, things like that. How do you manage taking care of yourself, taking care of your mental health and all that when you're in this process? Yeah. For walking the old road, I had no idea what kind of territory I was going to get into really until I started talking to family members about the lives of my aunties. There are things that I had never heard before I started writing. And I also wrote seven aunts during the the main COVID winter of 2020, when there was fear and trepidation everywhere. Having that sense of unknowing and that sense of dread and fear and shared collective fate really helped me connect with the emotional topics in seven aunts. It was kind of like I just went for it no holds barred. And the danger there is that I would sit at the computer for six hours and I <laughs> I was just a head <laughs> and a keyboard. Like I had no physical self 
I was so absorbed in the writing. And that is not good for the writer. That really takes a toll. And I learned that the hard way. So can you expand on that a little bit, Stacey? What did you what did you learn from that process? Well, first of all, I learned the limits of where writing can take you, which is very far. Writing can take you very deeply in, into places. I also learned that kind of like in writing up about my aunties, they belong to me and I belong to them. I think now that my aunties would have been worried about me, <laughs> the way that I was approaching that writing, they would have wanted me to go a little easier on myself, I think. Well, Stacy, I know you are a radio producer, probably a fellow radio geek, I'm sure. I love radio. I think it is the coolest technology, even though like it's old and cool technology. It's always featured in like apocalypse movies as what helps people, saves people. So I'm, I'm a huge radio fan. What brought you into the world of radio? Oh, I love radio too, Leah. I just think radio, community radio has the potential to save us all. I mean, it's kind of like the last bastion of democracy, in my opinion. What got me into radio actually was meeting my longtime partner, Kathy Quinn, who was instrumental in the development of WTIP and was the first program director. And we had met and we were kind of, you know, just chatting one time. And she said, hey, you should come and host Women in Music sometime on WTIP. It's the funnest thing ever. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I started as a volunteer host of the Women in Music program on WTIP. I'm a, a very shy person. And there's something about radio it's it's almost like floating in an isolation tank, being in the dark booth with your headphones and your mic. You're just playing music for people. And and I, I fell in love with radio that way. And since then have served as a volunteer host for other things. But then I think it was in 2012, the station manager at the time, Debbie Benedict, suggested that I put the Walking the Old Road interviews into a series format for the station. And so I learned storytelling and editing for the radio on the Walking the Old Road radio series for WTAP. That morphed into another radio series where I worked as contractor for the radio called Anishinaabe Way. It was focused on modern stories, much like like you're doing here on Native Lights, but they were very short. They were, you know, seven, eight minutes long. But I got to talk to the movers and shakers in the Anishinaabe Aki world of creators and writers and artists and newsmakers and storytellers and things. So that was really, really a fun series to work on. I learned a lot about editing working on those series and how to engage listeners in things when there's no 
visuals. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Stacy Drulard, award-winning author and direct descendant of the Grand Portage Band of Ojibwe. Stacy is a radio producer for a community radio station and writes a monthly column called Nibi Chronicles. I got to hear about the Nibi Chronicles, the monthly column you work on. I always pull in the theme of Nibi, water, one of the Ojibwe words for water. It is mostly environmental writing. I live on a big hill along the North Shore within the Superior Highlands. It's called Good Harbor Hill. It's just on the edge of Maple Woods. I do draw on that for Nibby Chronicles, but I also, you know, I've talked to Margaret Watkins, the water quality specialist at Grand Portage, about what is going on at Grand Portage. I've talked to artists. I've written about wolves and humans and gosh, just runs the gamut, I guess. Stacy, do you have any writing heroes? Well, my writing heroes change by the day, but the first time that I that I really, really felt connected to works of literature was when I first read Leslie Silco, hmm. both uh, Leslie Silco's poems, but also novels, and then working into the nonfiction. You know, other writers that have influenced me hugely are the book that Brenda Child wrote called Holding Our World Together. It's a book about Ojibwe women throughout history. That book for me is something that I wish that I'd read before I wrote anything. I came at it much later, but I feel like Brenda in that book answers so many questions that I had that I couldn't find answers for. So I always have that at the top of my list of recommendations. The other book that is really formative lately is Richard Powers' Overstory. That inspired a family tree. Gotcha. Okay, good. What are some places that you like to visit that you go back to? My favorite place in the whole world is Saginaga Lake on the border of Canada. It's a split lake, meaning it's within the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, but motors are also allowed because of historic use. My family has a very old connection to Saginaga. My grandpa, Fred, was a fishing guide there. My dad was a fishing guide there. I still like to go there as much as possible for as long as possible. It's it's my it's my my favorite place. It's my spirit place. It's where I feel the most myself. Thank you. Stacy. I have to hear about baking. I'm a big fan of bread <laughs> and other baked goods. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit about like baking? I didn't know that you used to have a shop, if that's the correct term. I mean, it must be more than a hobby if you were in business for a while. Yes. Again, I never intended to be a baker, but <laughs> there I was. Yes. So it was called Lola's Bakery after my grandma Lola, who I'm also named for. And for anyone who's read Seven Aunts, you'll see that food is a huge theme in that book on both sides of the family. 
So I come at it from a historic perspective of, of people, women who cook and bake. And so running the bakery was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm very proud to say that I could work that hard. And I'm also very happy to say that I don't have to work that hard anymore. <laughs> I just have huge respect for these people who bake their whole lives. Baking is really, yeah, it's um, it's intense. I was doing wedding cakes. I was doing big events. I used to deliver wedding cakes on the gondola at Lutzen Mountains. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> not recommend well, that well, that's kind of a tight little space there to be bringing a cake <laughs> oh yeah you know it's like a three-tiered wedding cake on the swinging gondola and like 40 mile an hour winds no don't do that <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know i still i mean there's a give back there too if you come from families that come out of a food tradition you know like we get off on feeding people my sister's a chef and was a chef for many years as well as a caterer and you get a give back when you bring someone a delicious thing that they love you benefit from that so it's good work it's brutal it's sticky are you still are you still baking things and doing all that <laughs> my sister terrorizes me by saying did you hate bake this for us <laughs> <laughs> um no i took a long break i'm not going to lie but now i will occasionally if i really really like you i'll make uh, i'll make you something wonderful well we better stay on stacy's good side <laughs> <laughs> it would be an honor to bake for you awesome yeah. What do you think, Cole? Yeah, um, I don't have too much more, but we we always like to ask, you know, do you have final thoughts? Uh, maybe something you'd tell people who want to, you know, follow a similar path or, you know, just share stories from their community. Um, just anything. The more the merrier. The work of telling stories within community is so important to how we learn about each other how we elevate each other's perspectives and and voices and histories in my experience there is no shortage of indigenous brilliance indigenous creatives indigenous people doing very very hard and inspiring work and so we're only just going to get louder and the reach is only going to get bigger and bigger. I just always want to remind people that there's no shortage of great work being done by Native creators. Getting mainstream people to pay attention is the biggest hurdle, in my opinion. Stacy Drillard. Yeah, that's great. Author, radio producer, mm-hmm. baker <laughs> in the past. I'm glad you, you followed up on that because I'm like, oh, if there's a chance to talk about food, we got to talk about food, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Food? What? 
All right. So miigwech to Stacy Drulard, award-winning author and direct descendant of the Grand Portage Band of Ojibwe. She's a radio producer for a community radio station and also writes a monthly column called Nibi Chronicles. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Giggawabamin. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.